Welcome to Winning at Work today. I have Joe Coran, or as he is known in the industry as Joey DeFish. I love that. You're not. Uh, are you, you're not Italian, are you? I am actually. So I guess that would uh, be a, a, an apt title then. I think it. I think it makes sense. So we have um, Joey DeFish, or <laughs> Joe Coran, the vice president of sales at Forever Oceans, joining us today, and. I've had a number of people on the podcast, whether they were live or we were talking either before or after, they kept mentioning, Tony, you got to watch Seaspiracy. And I had kind of put it off and I eventually did watch it. And if you've seen it, you know, it's, it's definitely kind of one-sided. It only tells one side of the story. So when I met Joe and I was able to have a, a better understanding of of what Forever Oceans was doing, I found a great sense of relief because if, if anyone has seen Seaspiracy, it, um, it's pretty gut wrenching. It, it, it is. And there's, you know, like anything, Tony, what they do with, with a, a, uh, a, some type of documentary of sorts is they want to get people drawn in and they want to do something to, for shock value and those kind of things. And, and I'm not going to disagree. There are some things in there that they were they're very truthful. There are there are a lot of exploitations going on in the in the seafood industry. There's exploitations in the produce industry. There's exploitations in the poultry and the beef and the pork. It's everywhere. There there are exploitations. Whenever you have a business, you have people that are going to do it the wrong way, and they're going to try to cut corners and do what they can. That's a truth that is in business. The Seaspiracy thing, what's interesting to me about that is it, it was done to create the shock and the conversation, but I think what really you need to look at out of the whole thing is, yeah, there's some things in there, but it's also, well, how do you do the right things in, in, in the aquaculture industry overall or the seafood industry as a whole? I've made my career out of doing the right things, um, and... When I look at some of the things that went on in there, it's it's disturbing. It's sad. I'm sorry to see some of those things. But we've done a lot of the right things is what we've done. And, and really, the mission of our company and where our CEO, the reason he started doing what, what he's doing is that he's a gentleman who's actually been involved with a lot of environmental issues for many, many, many years. And it's one of those things that's a passion for him is to do the right thing environmentally. And it's not just growing the fish in the right environment, but it's packaging it properly and doing everything properly from the animal husbandry and to animal welfare and, this, and the humane ways of, of euthanizing them after harvest and that. And it sounds like an oxymoron, you know, right. euthanization. Yes, but it's, you know, it, makes sense it, is, it is food for us, though. Right, it is. And, and it's one of those things that we need to make sure that we're doing all the right steps and there are some major issues that are in the aquaculture industry as a whole that we've addressed early on. Number one was the was the fact that people that are the, a lot of the fish that's raised is close to shore, and what happens is the the waste from the fish becomes in 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 the open ocean becomes a fertilizer of sorts, it becomes another food source for other life forms in the ocean, but at close to shore it becomes a pollutant. And when you create a polluted environment, you then tax the health abilities of the fish. 
And when you do, when the fish become unhealthy, then you've got to take means to try to make them healthy. And all of a sudden you're doing things and doing things with the fish to get them healthier so that you can, you can offer that isn't the right thing to do. Um, they, you know, some pens are too crowded. They're in water that's not deep enough to allow even the feed. If there's excess feed, if it goes down, it starts to to rot on the bottom, and it becomes another biofowl of sorts that becomes a problem. You know, we took our 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 fish offshore. Everything is offshore. It's 10, 7 to 10 miles from the shoreline in deep ocean water. Our R&D facilities in 6,000 feet of water in Hawaii, our, our cages that are in Panama right now are in over 1,000 feet of water. And the reason for that is that we have the ability there to anything that falls from the cage goes through a number of different food columns on its way to the bottom, if it even ever makes it there. So there's really no, because of the currents that are in the open ocean that way, there's really no concerns per se on what the, the, the any pollutants that come out of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I, I look at it that there's no such thing as bad publicity. If you want to look at it from the other side of it, during the pandemic, there, the increase in seafood awareness and people wanting to buy healthy foods like that, it, it went up exponentially we went from the number six rated protein and number two rated protein in retail with seafood that's a great thing so people understood more about why it was good to eat yeah good for you trend is not going anywhere and i'm that's why i was i said at the top i was so glad to meet you and to learn more about forever oceans because it, it made me feel really good knowing that there is a a sustainable way for um for this type of, of, of harvesting fish. Tell, I, I want us to learn a little bit more though about forever oceans and tell us just, it's, it's very interesting. You've lived this, you've lived in this space. So tell us about the, the species and just kind of what the, your, your future plans are as well. Sure. So what's exciting about what we're doing and the reason why we've gone offshore in addition to the sustainability issues that it has with the environment. The other part of it, Tony, is that there's a, there's the ability to scale up. When you look at what's going on in the world, uh, it, you know, by 2050, we're supposed to have 10 billion people on this planet. But there are a finite number of resources for land-based proteins. So we have to look to the ocean. And the only way to do that on a scalable level is to do that through aquaculture. But not just aquaculture, but offshore aquaculture, where you can actually grow out in the open ocean and you're not going to run the risk of doing any any harm to the environment so that's a really big part of where the mission is behind forever oceans is to is to do something and create a sustainable protein that will feed the world and it may be multiple proteins but our first species is the cereola rivoliana which is otherwise known as amberjack hamachi kampachi um Yellowtail, some people call it. We call it Kahala. Kahala is the Hawaiian name for amberjack. And um, we are growing these in these pens, which are about 50 meters across, so, uh, you know, which are quite large. And our pens are submerged underwater. So the they're about anywhere from 40 to 60 feet below the surface, which means that the waves and the surface issues of the water do not come into effect with us. Um, the species is a carnivorous species, 
and it is used to carnivorous species in general like to they live kind of as pack animals if you would uh so they're used to living in in a in a close environment but we don't have a real tight environment because of the size of our pens we give them a lot of space to swim and uh and it's really it's it's an exciting thing because the feed is actually done in an automated manner we actually have um you know, an automated system, which is our, our patented system that we have done. It's proprietary, uh, where we can actually feed them offshore, which is like, well, how do you feed fish that are 10 miles offshore? We do it remotely through robotics and, um, and, and we can go out to the cage only once a week and just fill up the feed bins, that type of thing. So, um, it's really, that exciting. is awesome. I saw that it was robotic and also patented that that's fascinating. You know, one of the things that comes out of it with every fish, every time somebody's raising fish is you have a certain level of mortalities. We actually have a way to actually harvest the mortalities by a underwater drone robot uh, that actually picks them up, sends them into a, uh, a mortality collector that actually is on board the uh, vessel that is, is tethered, uh, that allows them then to look at what the reason for the demise of the fish was, and they can do some analytics because there's a lab on board, uh, and we can just uh, we collect them accordingly and, and get rid of the fish appropriately. I have to say, I'm really just kind of blown away at the technology and the thought that's gone behind this. This is not your grandfather's fish farm. Well, no, it's fascinating, too, because, you know, I, I was the first fishmonger hired by the company, um, and we have like 130 people in the company right at the, at the moment uh, with, you know, and growing faster in all the different countries that were located. And it's fascinating because it was started as an offshoot project from Lockheed Martin. Uh, they were doing some different uh, tidal studies and such with NOAA and doing some different things. And one of the, one of the people that was uh, part of the company had this idea of, you know, what if we raised fish offshore and dragged it a boat around the world or something like that. And, and a number of different things stemmed from this. And it, it, it transpired into the fact that it was the Forever Oceans model was created. And, and Lockheed Martin said, well, we're not really in the seafood industry, but you guys run with it and have fun. So we've, we've run with it. And since 2014, it's been a, um, in an independent company that is, that is, Growing and it's a series. You know, I, I laugh. I say I work with a bunch of rocket scientists, but I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a fish. <laughs> it is rocket science. Yeah, I'm a fishmonger amongst a bunch of engineers, which is fascinating, and uh, I learned so much. You know, here, here after 36 years in the seafood industry, you know, what, what's the old guy going to learn? But wow. I learn every day and it's fascinating, which is you know what we love about the seafood industry. You never have the same day twice, anyhow. So. Well, and we are going to get to your superpower, which is obviously you are, um, you know, you're, you're high on the spectrum of learning. And that is definitely one of the ways that, that you sell. And I'm really looking forward to getting into that, that conversation. But before we get into that, I just want to um, hear more about the trends that are happening in seafood or other trends that you're seeing that maybe we're not aware of, because to your point, um, you know, the population of the earth, I think you mentioned by 20, 2050, maybe 10 billion, lots of different estimates around that. But uh, definitely fish are the best way to go because they don't stand, right? I mean, it, it takes so much little feed to produce protein in the water than it does 
you know, trying to raise a cow. Yeah, absolutely. There's a it's it's a much more efficient system overall. Your feed conversion ratio is is much lower than any other protein source, um, and you know those are improvements that are part of the technology of of the industry as a whole. Everybody's trying to chase down a better um, you know FCR feed conversion ratio. Everybody wants to, everyone wants to find that, and you know there will be innovations with feed over time because everyone's like, well, you're using wild fish for the feed, and it's true there are there are you know sardines and herrings that are used in fish meal, but it depends on where they're obtained from. There are sustainable fisheries that are supplying feed suppliers uh, with the proper amount, and and it's all a matter of how. You, you know, who you're working with and making sure that you have reputable suppliers and that you're working with and developing the feed formulations that you have that are going to be most efficient for your fish. And that's really what we've done over time is that we're doing that. And there will, you know, like I said, everybody is working on new developments in feed to find the next best thing that's going to work. And there's a lot of options out there, and it's exciting because it, we want to be able to do that to feed the planet. There are so many you know, 70% of the earth's surface is covered in water. It has to be through aquaculture that we grow the protein sources for the future. Plus, they're clean. They are, um, they're very lean proteins. They're high in omega-3s, which is good for our bodies. The fats that are in there are all healthy fats. It's, it's just one of those things. You know, I personally um, have, on my personal health journey, have, have, have focused primarily on the only protein that I eat of, of any creature of any sort is seafood. Uh, and that was just for health purposes, just because of how clean it is and how good it is and how your body is so able to efficiently process the fish. Um, and that's, what's exciting for us is that, you know, people are like, well, why did you pick cereal or Voliana? You know, why did you pick this species? Well, if you've ever tasted it, you don't have to ask the question again, because it's one of the best tasting fish you'll ever have. People are like, well, what would I have had that I can recognize? Well, if you've gone to a sushi bar and you've had hamachi, that is a, that is a, a species or a subspecies within that same family group. So it has that real rich clean flavor, but it's that buttery richness that's in there that makes it adaptable to any application as far as the way you can you can actually produce the product as far as, you know, the recipe applications. Eating it raw is one of the best ways to do it. Um, but there's so many, there's so much versatility with it. Yeah, I was looking at the website. You've got like 26 different chefs who are coming up with incredible, you know, options and ways to make it that I mean, you really don't have any excuses for, hey, what do I make tonight or how do I make it? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting and, and, and it's exciting because we have a we have a culinary board that supports what we're doing. We have a corporate chef. We have a, we do our own podcast as well. Rick Moonen, Chef Rick Moonen, who is a CIA grad, uh, is very well-known uh, chef and has been in the industry a long time, just a wealth of knowledge, kind of the God, they call him a godfather of sustainability. He's really taken and waved the flag for sustainability over the years himself. Um, and he's involved with our organization, really adds a lot of not only credibility, but he really believes in what we're doing in as well. This is a mission that he feels strongly about, and we're excited about that. The interesting thing I always talk about when people, people say, well, you know, I just don't know how to cook fish. And I say, I always say the same thing to him. And I've been saying this for years. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you know how to cook a chicken breast? 
And they'll be like, well, yeah, of course, everyone knows how to do that. I said, great. Let me ask you another question. If you undercook the chicken breast, what happens? He said, well, I'm going to get sick. I said, that's, that's true. That's very true. So if you cook a piece of fish and you undercook the fish, what do you think is going to happen? And he said, oh, I'll get sick. No, you're actually probably cooked it properly is probably what you did because most people want to overcook their fish because they think they have to cook it like you cook other proteins. And it's a real simple thing. If you have an inch thick piece of fish, 400 degrees for 10 minutes for every inch of thickness is an old school thing that I learned in 1986 from Mike Foley at the Foley Fish School in New Bedford, Massachusetts. That was a formula. And realistically, it does, it works. It's just a great premise to work from. So if you're looking at a fish that's a half inch thick, 400 degrees, five minutes, it's ready to go. And, and you're like, Oh, how could that be possible? It is because that moisture, it's, 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 you know, so much of the fish is made of water that heats up quickly and it goes through and, and medium rare fish is the best way to eat it. It just has a lot of flavor. So I just never worry about undercooking fish. I eat sushi. I mean, right. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's about as undercooked as it gets, right? I mean, you know, that's, (laughs) I don't know why people worry about undercooking fish. Yeah. Well, they just don't know. They're worried about cooking it in general. And it's, you know, and I just try to make it, make them understand how simple now. And I think that that's one of the revelations that came out of, out of the uh, out of the pandemic, but you know, really, what what we see is you know trends in the in the U.S. is that people want they want to have that restaurant experience, but people aren't as as comfortable going to those experiences anymore. So one of the challenges that you have is to to be able to provide product and formats and so on that's going to make them be able to replicate that experience or get it in places where they can really uh, pick it up and, and enjoy it in a way that's going to make more sense for them to enjoy it like they used to uh, pre-pandemic, if you want to go that route. But, I mean, just overall in general, enjoy the fish for what it is. Celebrate it for what it is. Um, it's just a great it's a, it, it's a great protein source. So, Joey, where do people find this Kahala? Where can they order it? Well, currently we are, uh, we are just ramping up our first production will come out in September and we will be working with uh, some distribution partners around the country to get it into uh, some regional markets to start with. Uh, and then eventually we will be working in with some retailers as well on regional basis as well, rather than, uh, you know, completely divulge a lot at the moment. That's that's really where we're at right now. Is that we're we're we've been doing a lot of R and D work. We've done a lot of testing. We've had a lot of things going on. We have a um, the the Kahala Clash Cookoff Challenge at the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, is coming up in November, uh, where we are actually getting the students engaged, and they're going to be doing a seafood cookoff utilizing our product. Uh, have some great uh, some great celebrity chefs that are going to be coming in to do the judging that are former Culinary Institute graduates. Uh, and uh, so stay tuned on the website for that and see all the exciting things that are going on. So, um, you know, there's, there's a number of avenues. We will eventually develop a direct-to-consumer program. That's a little ways off, but we are, uh, that will be a, a function that we will be moving towards as well. Well, I think it's great that we're catching you guys on the front end. So by the time this podcast is released, you should be in distribution, regional distribution. Now, obviously, you said it's off of Hawaii. And then where's your other pen? Did you say it's Panama? 
Well, Hawaii is our research and development area. So we have a, a pen out there and we have our research and development uh whole campus that we have out in that area. Panama is where we are uh, on the Pacific side is where we are growing our fish. Uh, we have a hatchery that's a recirculating aquaculture system as well as a flow through system. So we have basically three different types of aquaculture going on with our farm in Panama, but we have an amazing, amazing hatchery there. Uh, and that is raising from egg. Uh, we have our own brood stock that we are expanding that stock pile as well with the fish. Uh, we raise the fish up through from egg into the nursery uh, where we get them large enough to take them out to the pens. Uh, then they go out to the pens where they r run through their, their life cycle and then they're harvested from there, processed and shipped to the U.S. from there. That's how the, uh, the process will work. But Panama is going to service North America for us. Uh, eventually, we will we have uh, we have hatchery that's almost completed being built in Indonesia right now, and that will service the Asian market for us uh, with the pens that will go in out there. And then in Brazil, we are breaking ground on our hatchery in October, actually, uh, and that will service the EU and the Middle East. Will be our Brazil farms. So. What an exciting time to meet you guys and to introduce everyone to Forever Oceans. I think it's just it's – it's awesome. I'm a bit of a fish nerd. I've, I grew up raising uh, tropical fish, so nothing on the scale of this. People are probably laughing and rolling their eyes. But if you've ever you know, tried to do breeding of guppies and you know, fooling around with that, um, to hear the scale that you guys are doing it is – it's just that's just uh, – it's kind of exciting. It's a delicate eco balance. You know, that's the one thing that there's a lot of people, people like, oh, you know, it's, it's, you know, that philosophy of what some of the different uh, companies have done that, you know, that are manufacturing things. Well, this isn't manufactured. This is grown. This is a biologic. This is, there are factors that come into this that you just don't even think about. You know, it's uh, when you watch our fish be, when they're feeding, uh, they, they create almost like a, um, almost like a, like a tornado of, you know, swirling as they're going around and they're in this flurry of feeding because they're, they're carnivorous creatures and they're, they're, they're going in there and doing the feed. It's amazing to me is that and this is just common knowledge that when you have feedings like that, the oxygen depletion that comes because you have this concentration of fish all in one area. So there's an oxygen depletion in the water. So you see, that's when you see the fish kind of swim out, they catch their breath and come back, you know, and that kind of thing. And it's, it's fascinating. We have cameras that we have underneath the, under the water that, so we can watch the feedings and we can watch the behavior of the fish and we can check out what the current is doing and that kind of thing because there's so many factors that go into it that it's not, it's not you know, something that you're manufacturing in any way. And, and, and it's a fascinating, delicate, delicate balance. And it's truly more miraculous when you come to the end of the cycle and you've got this, this fish coming out at the end and, you know, so it's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. And one of the trends in food is the, the origin story. And I think you'll have a pretty interesting story to tell people eventually when it's plated. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's, that's really what the exciting thing is to, is to, to educate the people and, and be able to tell that story about where the fish comes from. People want to know where it is. We actually are um, going to have a QR code that we attach to the fish that 
essentially will take it from, as I say, conception to consumption. Uh, and they'll be able to track the life cycle, you know, from, we'll be able to do that internally, that kind of thing, but people will know where the fish came from, that kind of thing, you know, as the cohorts come out, uh, as we're, as we're harvesting from each of these, it'll be an ability for people to know the story of the fish, where it came from, why it matters. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that we do is that by going into Panama, where we're at, we're, you know, I guess we're on the Pacific side. We're actually, what's amazing for us is that when we started the process in Panama was at the beginning of the pandemic and we actually built the hatchery, have the active hatchery going, uh, built all the infrastructure there, the offices, everything, um, you know, purchased the land, all that, and got all this going during the pandemic and employed a lot of people. And at a time when the world was coming to a stop, we were ramping up. And we were working every day and working hard every day and, you know, 14, 16 hour days to, to get things done so that we could get things in the water and that it's exciting. You know, it's, there's a passion and an energy that comes around the culture of the people, the, the, the pride and the passion that, that everyone has in Panama is just, it's when you go, you just, and you're around them, you just can't help but feel that positive energy and that transfers into the fish. They look after these fish, you know, the, there are three women that run our hatchery, broodstock and, and nursery area. The three, you know, very, very gifted scientists. These three women are running this show at our hatchery. And it's, it's amazing to me because, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, women in aquaculture. And a lot of times it's like, oh, this person's an intern. This person. We also have one on our offshore team. It's the only woman that I know that's on the offshore team of any aquaculture group that's in a management position. We have four very strong women in, in, in the, in leadership roles in raising our fish in Panama. It's a great story. And they're just, and, and they're putting the energy into the fish in the right way. The team that's there comes with, with, with pride and passion that, that will work tirelessly to do the right thing every day to make the fish grow. Yeah. Again, I've said this so many times, but this is one of the reasons why I love working in the food and beverage industry. There's so much passion. I used to work accounting and finance years ago. You never found this kind of passion. I mean, maybe if you were out in a plant and they're making a kind of a cool product, but there's something different about food and beverage. And just listening to you talk, you're extremely well-spoken. You're very well-educated. And as I got to know you a little bit better, come to find out that, you know, education has really been your, your life story. That's almost, well, not almost, it seems to be one of your actual superpowers is, you know, how you, how you accomplish, how, how you win at work is this idea of, of educating yourself. And I think we're at the point now where I'd, I'd love for you to kind of share with us your philosophy around this, you know, lifetime of learning, educating, and how you've used it in business and in sales to reach the level you have. Great. Well, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I got involved in the seafood industry, uh, to give you just a quick story on how I got involved, um, which I went to, I, I, I had, I had finished school for my undergraduate and I wanted to become a teacher. So, Prior to that, I wanted a little bit of life experience. So I moved out to Arizona and I was writing poetry and taking photographs and running around the desert and trying to 
discover my inner self so that I felt like a well-rounded person to help educate the youth of tomorrow kind of thing. So I came back and I'm like, I'm ready to go. So I go in and I, I, I go and I get myself enrolled in school that I had to get a quote unquote teaching certificate in Ohio is what you had to do. I was living in Cleveland, Ohio at the time. And, um, which is where I was born and raised. And, and so I, I, I had, you know, I, I'm like, okay, I got to get myself a part-time job. So I had been a, a customer at this little fish market up the street, right around the corner. And I'm, I went in and I said, Hey, I want to get a part-time job. You have any jobs? Said, sure. Be here tomorrow morning at 5.00 AM. I'm like, cool. Okay. So I get in there and they have me doing all kinds. I'm helping pack fish and load to you know, grab that fish, scale that salmon, do this, put this in there, count out 50 clams, count out a hundred oysters, do this thing. You know, you're running around all this and then, okay, now you're going to, here's this list of invoices, all those boxes you just put on the back of that truck. You're going to go and take those. You know where you're going? No, you'll figure it out. There's the addresses. Go. We didn't have map quests. We didn't have. On any of <laughs> no, stuff. you didn't. I had a map and it was like, go to this area. You're going to this part of town. I'm like, okay, you'll figure it out. When you get to the first place, ask them how to get to the next one. Okay, cool. I get done at six o'clock at night. So I've worked 13 hours and this is my part-time job. I'm like, wow. I'm like, all right, cool. Thanks guys. I got to go. Hey, be here tomorrow morning at five. I'm like, okay. So I come in the next day. This same thing goes on. I get done at seven. I'm like, holy cow, part-time. So I, I'm like, all right, guys, see you. And they're like, hey, can you be here tomorrow morning at 5? I'm like, yeah, you know I'm part-time, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I leave. I get done at 6. Again, so I'm like, holy cow, three days, 40 hours. I come in and I said, hey, just out of curiosity, I said, I came in here looking for a part-time job. I put 40 hours in in the past three days. What's full-time? And they said, well, that's easy. You come in at 3 a.m. instead. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> cool. Okay. I get this. All right. And I was fascinated and I was no pun intended. I was hooked because here was the thing. What an amazing industry, the last frontier. We are hunters and gatherers. We have this ability to go out into this vast area of water, see nothing and come back with a bounty. Wow. That's cool. I thought it was really kind of neat. I wanted to learn more about it. So being the the, the educator that I was, I wanted to teach myself. So I went to the library because when I started in 1985, there were no, there was no internet. There wasn't this, we didn't have any of those little niceties. So you go to the library and you look up books and you take books out and you read about things and you call people on the phone and say, Hey, tell me about this and tell me about that. You know, I went to New Bedford mass in, in Massachusetts in, in 1986 to go to Foley fish school so that I could learn and go to the auctions, the one in New Bedford, the one in Gloucester, the one in Boston, when they actually had the fish auctions and you watch them taking the fish off the boats. You're like, wow, this is so cool. So I got really got involved in this. So as I started doing more things with this, I started telling people about this and they're like, wow, that's fascinating. Where'd you learn this? Well, I read this book and I did that and I called this guy and all that. And all of a sudden I became this go-to guy for knowledge. And I'm like, wait a second. I wanted to be a teacher and now I'm teaching, you know, teaching about seafood. This is kind of cool. I didn't realize people didn't know so much about this. And it has been a quest throughout my career to teach as many people as I can about it. So, you know, I have this, I, I have this philosophy on business that I wrote while I was in college and it was consistency builds trust, trust builds relationships and relationships build business. So, what I tried to do was be that consistent form of 
knowledge and information because there's a lot of difference between knowledge and information. Knowledge is, is what you gather through practical application. Information is what you can Google. Okay. So there's a big difference. And I was acquiring knowledge by hands-on experience and things I was doing so that I could share this with people and make them better. So the opportunity came to actually do a little talk for a restaurant group that I had landed the account for. And I had the opportunity to actually get in there and, and talk to their servers and train them about seafood. So I did this talk and they were like, man, this is great. I really appreciate it. you really helped us understand. I talked about the myths and misconceptions around the seafood industry and different harvest methods. And it was early days of aquaculture. At the time, aquaculture, the big thing people talked about was there were two things. They had been growing salmon in Norway, but after Chernobyl, they had to move that kind of production over to Canada because it was affecting some of the farms in the northern part of Norway was, you know, some of the some of the issues that were in the water. And so you saw this development in Canada then and then in Chile because it was a very similar environment. It was like, wow, this is fascinating. But on land, there wasn't anything like that until Chiquita, as in the banana people, were actually raising tilapia in cement ponds out in the desert. And they were taking the water, pumping it through the irrigation canals for produce and raising the tilapia. Kind of what people look at now is, as aquaponics, uh, you know, if they do it on a small scale. And they were doing that out there. And that was early days. And then obviously they realized, you know, this fish can grow in any environment. Let's just try to raise it everywhere. And that moved on. But it was fascinating to me that I would learn about these things and I'd come and I would teach it. So every day I would learn, I would, I, I had this, this premise for myself. And I had a teacher in high school that once said, you know, if you want to do yourself a favor, take an hour a day for yourself and read something about what you're interested in. If it's your business, if it's your, your, your passion, if it's your, your hobby, whatever it is, take an hour a day. If it's four 15 minute sessions, if it's six, 10 minute sessions, whatever, find a way to do that for yourself. At the end of the week, you got seven hours invested in yourself. You know, at the end of the year, you've got, you know, weeks invested in yourself. So do this for yourself and try to get yourself to, because nobody can ever take that information away. Nobody can take that knowledge. Nobody can take that, that, that gift away from you. So it was one of those things that I, I started leveraging that philosophy into this consistency, building the trust. And as I gave people information and they had success, the trust build built around that. So because the trust built with them, I started developing stronger relationships with people and the stronger my relationship, the business started to grow. And it was like, this is really cool. And so I was at a, uh, ACF American culinary federation meeting in Columbus, Ohio. And this woman walks up to me and she says, Hey, listen, I heard you talking to somebody and I've heard from a couple different people that you have a pretty good knowledge of fish. I would love for you to come and talk to our culinary students. Well, what I didn't know at the time was the Columbus State Community College was actually the second highest rated culinary school in the country behind the Culinary Institute for the number of graduates and, and, the, and, the, and the excellence that people had coming through that program, which I thought was fascinating. And I, and I thought, that's just really cool. So they gave me two days to go in there. I got two days out of each semester to go in and do Joey to Fish's School of Fish. And I'll tell you how the Joey to Fish name came in a few minutes. But um, so I, I had Joey to Fish's School of Fish and I went in and I taught them all about species. I taught them about, 
you know, all the different uh, ways that you could catch the fish and all this. And it really broke down a great agenda for him. Spent, you know, an hour and a half one day, came back the next day, and then we did hands-on. I had to show them how to cut fish. I had them breaking the fish down. And eventually we cooked it and ate it, and we talked about what they learned out of it. This caught on. And this became a regular thing as part of their curriculum. And then it became one of those things that all the other schools in the area, they actually had a high school that was doing a culinary program. Come and teach our kids. Come and do this. Come there. So the guy who wanted to be a teacher who became developed this passion for seafood because I absorbed all this knowledge became the fish guy that, that knew about, you know, the fish educator. And so it became part of my mantra is that when people would say, you know, you know, what, what's your job? I said, well, I'm, I'm a food educator. I'm just going to teach you everything I can. But what I did was I didn't just focus on the seafood at the time. I, I did that for that purpose, but I wanted to understand all the other aspects. I had one chef that was like, listen, I'm, I'm competing for the culinary Olympics. Can you get me you know, some unusual items to work with. Well, at the time, you know, I call up all these suppliers and I go, well, I've got, you know, this and that. I've got these these really crazy different seaweeds. I don't know what people are doing with them. I've got this. I got. That. There were things that people hadn't worked with before. I start shipping them into the chef and he's doing practice things with them for demos for the Culinary Olympics. He actually won a gold medal in the Culinary Olympics as well. And uh, yeah, it was Greg Weary was his name. He was actually at a little place in Columbus, Ohio called the Dell. He did his externship at a place called the Inn at Snoqualmie Falls up in uh, Seattle area. And um, he was a talent. He was actually um, the chef for the Firestone family in Akron, Ohio. Uh, And when I met him, he had just taken over as a chef of this little restaurant and you know, just a creative genius. And I would just bring things in for him. And, you know, Columbus, Ohio was kind of a, unusual, but it was very a big hotbed for a lot of high-powered chefs. You know, Hartman Hanke, who was a gold medal winning chef for years, had his own restaurant there. One of He's a master chef. And he would have a dinner every year for the master chefs, which I would go to just to see how amazing people, the art that people could create with food. And I think that's part of the thing, too, is that I've always had this artist mentality and seafood lends itself to that creativity and artistic abilities that come with it. So, um, so that's been an exciting part of it. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, there's a passion around it. I've never had the same day twice, Tony. I mean, how can I, how can I not enjoy something where for 36 years I haven't done the same thing twice? You know, it's just every day is a new, exciting adventure. Um, and so it's, it's exciting for me to be around that, but the education piece is so huge because, Knowledge is power. So I try to empower all the people I learn, I, I te- you know, that I that I go and I, I help educate. I don't like to say sell because my philosophy on selling is real simple. I'm going to give you enough information to make the proper decision for you and your business. Okay, and I'm going to do that because I've assessed the needs that you have already, and I understand how what I have fits in there. But I'm going to guide you with the information and knowledge that I have about that product and help teach you about these things so that you're going to make a decision and say, you know what, that's the right fish for me. And I'm saying, you know what, you're absolutely right. And they buy into it because it was their decision, not mine. I didn't sell them on it. I educated them. They made, they sold themselves on that. Yeah, I've talked to people who, I just talked to someone today, in fact, that through their sales cycle, they knew who was supplying what product to who, and they knew their product would work well. 
And I think in food and beverage, I think you can sometimes get access to this information, but there are people in the service industry that they may not exactly know, you know, who their competitors are and, and who is servicing them. And I think that becomes the challenge because, you know, how do you become so educated as to what your customer is doing? I think you've done a, a brilliant job of, you know, just knowing exactly how your product's going to fit in and then provide that information. Now you're not selling, you're just really consultative. Um, I think the challenge comes for, for some of us, you know, when we don't have full visibility. Well, I think it comes with developing relationships with people. You know, you gain that trust with them. You're consistent with your information source, you're, what you're doing, and showing them that you're there to help them win. And you gain that trust and you build a relationship. That relationship side of it is critical because what I try to do is learn from somebody as much as I teach them. And when they feel that you are really interested in what they're talking about, they're going to share more information with you. And when they start to share more information, you know, they open the kimono and they give you the full exposure of what you want to learn and, and, and about them that's going to be a trigger point. And that's the important thing is to, to be a good active listener while you're while you're working with them. I have learned so much about the food industry as a whole because I have each person that I've worked with that I've gone and I've spent some time with, I've learned something from, and I've, I've thanked them for that. And I'm old school in the fact that when I meet, I have a meeting with somebody face to face, they get a card in the mail for me usually the next day or, you know, the next couple of days. That's a thank you note that's handwritten and it takes five minutes at the most to, to do it and mail it. But I thank them, and I reference one of the things that we talked about because it's important to me for them to know that they weren't just talking to be heard. They were actually – I appreciated what I learned from them. I mean, I, I, I started talking to – somebody was doing something in a restaurant, and I said, oh, you know, I, and I started talking about a, a different product. that had nothing to do with my product at all. And they're like, how do you know this? And I said, well, the last restaurant I was at, I was talking to the chef and he had was educating me on this. And I, I thought it was fascinating. And, and he's like, what? He goes, you were actually learning from him. And I'm like, yeah, why not? I mean, I want to learn from you, you know, and, and people it's, it's not the norm. And, and when people are complacent, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to be effective. They're not going to be good at what they do. They need to, you need to be stimulated. You need to be, you know, have a desire to, to learn more things. You know, with my, my kids, you know, it's one of those things I always tell them, Hey, you know, if you don't know about something, learn about it, find out a way, find something to do. And, and they've taken the, they've adapted reluctantly, but they do it because it's convenient now through their smartphones. They read every day, at least an hour and they've been doing it. And they said, you know what? It's interesting because Friends will say, well, how did you learn that? Well, I've read this article about it. It's great. It's great to do that. You have to keep the brain stimulated. You know, there was an old guy I ran into that was a, you know, old sales trainer years ago. He goes, when you're green, you're growing. And when you're, when you become that, that brittle stick that stops growing and turns brown, you can break easy. He says, be green and growing. And I, and I feel that way. I mean, I want to learn every day. That was what we used to do around the dinner table. What'd you learn today? Go around the table. What'd you learn today? From the time they were old enough to speak, what did you learn today? Because you got to learn every day. You got to learn something new. 
Keep growing the brain. Keep firing new synapses in the brain. Yeah, that's that's pretty slick, actually. Um, I'm already thinking, gosh, I want my daughter to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Learn from Joey yeah. uh, rather than me. Yeah. Um, we had talked also about you know, some of your, uh, your insights to, you know, when you're hiring. And I thought you, you made some pretty interesting comments about, um, things you look for or, or like showstoppers, you know, when you interview someone and I'd, I'd love you to kind of share some of your thoughts on, on just how, you know, maybe you could help a hiring leader. Yeah. So, you know, my thing, one of the things I always look at is, you know, like with, with right now, for me, as I'm going to hire salespeople to grow our company, I want to hire the person that replaces me because I want somebody that's going to contribute at that kind of level. But I want people that have done, I want people to do their research. I want you to do the, the, the simple things that, you know, okay, well, I went on the website and I learned that. But what do you know about it? Tell me what you know about it. Tell me what you don't know about it. Ask me questions, those kind of things. I want people that are inquisitive, that have a desire. And if they're motivated only by money, you know, at the end of the day, we all have to make a living. But if that is your sole motivation, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be jumping place to place your entire career. I've taken positions in, in my past where I thought it was a great financial gain and it didn't last. And it was, you know, quick to rise, quick to fall kind of thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Joe. What else do you look for when you're hiring? I think that a, a person that's coachable, I think what is really, for me, that coachability factor, somebody who's willing to, to learn, somebody who's willing to take advice, somebody who's able to look at the experience you have and say, I can draw from that and I can get better because of it. And they can be coachable. People that come in that have the attitude that they know everything and they've done everything, I, I can't help them. But what I can do is I can help the people that are willing to be coached. Yeah, that's probably top of my list as well. Open-minded, coachable, great attitude. And I think that kind of fits into the attitude. Yeah, great point. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I always tell my – it's one of those things I tell my kids. There's a lot of things you can't affect in this world, but you can always affect your attitude. Your attitude is the one thing you can control in life, and having a good one will get you farther. Well said. I have grown in this industry and grown successfully in this industry because I'm willing to – willing to take the steps necessary to learn every day something else and refine my craft. One of the things about salespeople is they don't really practice their sales pitch. They don't know what their sales approach is. They don't really know what these things are. And developing something themselves is, is to have something, you know, having something to talk about. I, I always, the part of that reading thing that I do is I have this fear of somebody you walk in and, and this is one of the deal breakers for me. If I walk into a place and I've got a salesperson with me that is working with me and they walk in and the chef says, you know, or whatever, whoever the person we're talking to says, you know, Hey, what's new? And they say, ah, nothing. They're done. As far as I'm concerned, you can pack your stuff and leave because if you think there's nothing new and there's nothing exciting to talk about, 
then you have been asleep because there's something new and exciting every day. Because you haven't learned anything, you don't have anything to teach. So you have to continue to learn. And you have to continue to, to, to have new things to talk about. You should always have a topic of conversation. Even if it's the same conversation with multiple people, find a topic you're excited about that's relevant and let's go with it. Understand what's going on in the industry. Understand what's going on around you. Understand what your competitors are doing. Understand what things are going and what the direction of your company is going and help to guide them as well. But Really understand what's going on in the, in, the, in the industry around you because there are subtle nuances that you pick up on of, of trends that are going on that aren't necessarily the article on this trend is happening. It's not necessarily that. You start to watch behaviors, become a, a student of student of, of human nature in certain ways and watch what people are doing. You know, one of the, one of the before pre pandemic, one of the biggest issues out there was people getting enough labor that was going to there. It was being watered down. You know, there were so many people that were in positions calling themselves chefs and restaurants that were, they were good cooks, but they were nowhere a chef. You know, the old saying is it takes five minutes to look like a chef and a lifetime to become one. It's true there. You know, there's a lot of gift, a lot of gift and skills and everything that goes into that, title and that responsibility. I mean, I asked one guy, you know, what's the definition of a chef? He goes delegation of authority, you know, and it's like, you know, that's a great point. You know, you, you're, you, you really have to be able to delegate and, and have your team working as a cohesiveness and lead them properly. But your people that you have working with, you need to be able to do the same with them. And, and I look at it the same way. I want to cultivate the talent of the people that work with me, but I want somebody that's going to replace me. The biggest compliment you can have is to train somebody well enough that they can replace you or they can go anywhere, but treat them well enough that they don't want to. And that's a Richard Bransonism right there. I mean, he's, that's a, his philosophy and I think it's brilliant. And, and, and it makes sense though, is that you want to help people grow and cultivate themselves, uh, and, 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 and improve their skill sets. And that's a, that's a critical part of it. You know, I was going to mention to you the, you know, the Joey DeFish story. I, I back years ago when I wasn't follically challenged, I had this long hair that was <laughs> back when you were writing poetry. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I had a ponytail and my earring that I had since I was seventeen that I did with a darning needle and an ice cube, you know. And I'm I'm in a suit with this ponytail and everything, and I had this overcoat on, and it was it was winter time, and you know, being an Italian guy you know, fairly, you know, big in, a, in stature. I walked in there in, in this restaurant that I had to collect from because he hadn't paid his bills. And I, I'm standing in the doorway, not letting him out of his office until he wrote a check for me or gave me cash for what they owed me in that. And this, I hear this guy behind me goes, Hey, what's your name? I said, who are you? He goes, what's your name? I said, Joe. He says, Joe, who? I said, Joe the fish guy he goes, Joey the fish. I said, yeah, I'm Joey the fish. He goes, what are you doing here? I said, it's none of your business and nothing that concerns you. I said, and who are you? He goes, I'm the grump. I said, well, you need to cheer up. He goes, don't you know who I am? I said, you just told me you're the grump. And I just told you to cheer up. I said, I got things to do. And I, I turned around and I handled my business and I got done. And as I'm leaving, he goes, Hey, you got a card. I'm like, why you want to call my boss? He goes, no, I want to call you. I said, okay. So I gave him my card 
The next two days later, I'm in the office and the phone rings and this girl comes up. She goes, hey, there's some guy with a really gravelly voice that says that he's your parole officer. I said, what? <laughs> and he goes, so I get on there and uh, and I said, who is this? And he says, he goes, it's the grump. I said, I told you to cheer up. He goes, it's, I'm the grumpy gourmet. I'm the food writer for the Columbus Dispatch. I want to do an article about you. I said, why about me? He goes, because nobody's ever talked to me like you did. So <laughs> That is you know, awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I started laughing. And, and so the Joey to fish became my nickname with him. And every week in the Columbus Dispatch for like five years, he did a, a repast about the food industry. And he we would do little things about seafood. And then once a month, he'd do a whole article about a species and I'd help him, you know, write the article. And then once a quarter, he turned me on to the Columbus Monthly magazine. And once a quarter, we'd do a seafood feature in Columbus Monthly. And I would do be the contributing guy to that as well. So I became like a little and at the same time, then I'm doing this, you know, teaching at the school and involved in different things. And it was you know, I got involved. I developed relationships around the industry, but that's where Joey to fish came from. So it stuck, you know, you're, you're like a fish czar or, or um, <laughs> a fish whisperer. I don't know. I mean, I think you're all those things wrapped into one. I mean, you, you know, I think for most other people, it would have taken us two hours to get this much information, but you, you were on like overload. No, oh, this is just a day in the life of Joey to fish. It, it is. It so, is. I mean, talk about uh, walking right into your wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, it's so. You know. let, let's say people want to connect with you. What's the mm -hmm. best way? Are you on socials? Do you have a YouTube channel? Do you have Joey DeFish's uh, YouTube channel? What, where can people find you? People have been telling me I should do that for years. You I totally should. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I write a uh, book. I actually, my, 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 it's funny you said that my kids and I actually, they came up with this idea, dad, you've got stories about all these things, you know? And I said, well, here's what we're going to do. So my kids are actually inspiring this side of it. They're going to start throwing topics at me and I'm going to start writing stories and sending them to them and whatever they do with it, we'll figure it out. Maybe if nothing else, it's a legacy, but I I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. That's, you know, I'm not a Facebook guy. Um, I do Instagram because I like to follow what we're doing with our company and it's Joey to fish 61 is my Instagram. Um, but I'm, uh, you know, Joe Coran on the, uh, on LinkedIn. That's, that's really, I appreciate that professional forum. I really do like the fact that it's policed by itself. So we don't have the, you know, the, the things that you don't want to watch on the news going on in there, you know, that's on, on Facebook. We don't need that. For the most part. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I, at least it's been filtered through with the people that I associate with. Let's put it that way. I haven't seen a lot of it. There's there's some of it, you know, and there's some things that happen and there's certain levity that comes along. And every now and then you see a cartoon that makes you laugh or whatever. But at the end of the day, we got to have a sense of humor about some things in life. But, at the, you know, I... I, I'm, I, I look at what we have going with our, our we need to feed the planet. We have a we have a growing population. We need to find a way to do that properly. We have a solution through Forever Oceans and doing that. I encourage other companies and look forward to other companies being able to do the same thing to help provide better proteins for the planet as well. You know, I um, you know, we talked originally at one point, you and I, about the plant based world. Um, and I have strong feelings around that as well, you know, for health purposes. Um, 
you know, I was over an 11 year period from 2007 to 2018, I had three heart attacks, triple bypass and 12 stents. And the doctor at Vanderbilt walks in and they said, I got good news and I got bad news. And I'm like, this is like the start of a bad joke. And, and they say, you know, the good news is you got the heart of a 25 year old. The bad news is you got the arteries of an 85 year old. And if you continue to do what you're doing, you'll be dead in three years. And I said, well, hold on one second. You just said, if I continue to do what I've been doing, then I'll be gone. They said, yeah. I said, so you're telling me if I continue to listen to you as I have for the last 11 years, I'm guaranteed to be gone in three years. Oh, we didn't say that. So that's exactly what you said. But I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to do it my way, Frank Sinatra. And I'm going to take six months to focus on me the way I want to try this. I'm not going to do your methods. I'm going to do mine. And we're going to see. And if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll sign your death sentence. And they said, okay, whatever, you know, and they're like, you know, another crackpot, let him say whatever he's going to say, some goofball. Well, in six months, I went on a hundred percent plant-based dairy-free walked every day, meditation, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, you know, stress relief of some kind. And in six months, I reversed heart disease, reversed type two diabetes and lost almost 70 pounds. And well, actually the 70 pounds happened over about a year and a half, but was very far in the right direction. So I go back in for this. They had given me this, this injection, this Repatha that I had to use for cholesterol or something. And they said, take this. It's twice a day, twice a month. You have to do this. It's $14,000 a year, but you have to do this. It's, you're going to have to do it for the rest of your life. I said, there's no options. Said, no, there's no options. So they give it to me in this little cooler bag and I take it home and I put it in my refrigerator. And I don't touch it. And at six months, I take it out of the refrigerator, put it back in their cooler bag, and I bring it back with me. And I'm sitting there, and they're looking at these these results. And she goes, see, what did I tell you? Look at these results. Look at your cholesterol levels. Look at how you're doing here. Look at how healthy you are. And I said, yeah. Oh, by the way, I brought you something. She goes, what's that? I said, that's the drug that you handed me six months ago and said it was a death sentence. I said, I didn't use any of the things you told me to do. I did it my way. She goes, what did you do? I said, diet, exercise. And I just basically told, took stress out of my, my, my world as much as I could to help balance it. And she goes, that's impossible. We could literally spend hours talking about the failures of Western medicine. And I think it is fantastic that you took it in your own hands. And you, you're going down a path that a lot of people have started going down. And that's going plant-based and just eating cleaner, let's just say. Well, that's what it is. Know what you're putting in your body. Fuel the beast. And because for me, my best tool in sales, my best tool in life is me. So if I don't take care of this machine, this machine doesn't work. That's awesome. I can't think of a better way to finish than feed the machine. There you go. And and make sure that it's Forever Ocean's Kahala that you feed the machine. It works. Another shameless plug. Live and direct from Panama, coming soon to a restaurant near you. I hope so. And I, I do okay. look forward to the update when when we are in distribution and we can find it in those restaurants and we can um, tag it, you know, on, on LinkedIn and, and see how it is. Joey, sincerely, uh, it's just been great being educated by you today, and I hope everyone else has been as thoroughly energized to go out and take learning and development into their own hands. 
Joey, thanks so much. Thank you, Tony. Have a wonderful day.